0: From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for Next Gen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the Next Gen Advisory Task Force. And for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up and coming financial advisors.
1: Hey all, it's Alana Phillips with NextGen and 10, and I am here with Ashley Murphy today. He is the founder and principal at Arate Wealth Strategist and the president of the Global Financial Planning Institute. Thanks for being here with me, Ashley.
0: So good to be here with you, Alana. Thanks for having me.
1: I know it is very early where you are at It is 530 in the morning in Australia. It's only 1230 here where I'm at in California. So especially thank you for getting up early for this discussion.
0: (laughs) That's okay. I knew what I was getting myself into. It helps to be an early bird too, with a couple of young kids.
1: I would imagine. Yeah. And I know we're going to get into maybe how some of that time difference plays into your business too, and potentially one of the challenges of it. So we'll jump straight into that, Ashley. I know you have a really unique story, a business model. Give us sort of a 30 second picture of your current firm and and what you do within it.
0: Sure. Yep. So Arete Wealth Strategists, I I threw on the the word Australia at the end a couple of years ago when I focused on, really focused on working with uh, Americans in Australia and Australians in America. My firm is an SEC registered RAA, 60 million in assets under management. And we've really grown tremendously in the past three years since committing to this particular niche market.
1: Excellent. It's such an interesting niche market. And this is why I'm so excited to have you talk about this. I think for the next gen folks who are listening and thinking about that future vision of their practice, this is just another sort of see it to be it sort of example, Ashley, of, of what you've done, right? So we always want to expose our, our listeners to those other ways of doing things. So obviously this has some unique challenges though, Ashley. Give us give yeah. us the you know the challenges that you faced in running a practice overseas and working with such a unique group of clients?
0: Yeah, the, the challenges really, as you would imagine, have been on the compliance side. And so I, I think being an RIA has made that a lot easier. I think in a broker-dealer environment, it would have been nigh on impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turns out, I, I spoke with a couple compliance attorneys. I, I wanted to get a variety of opinions because I, I, I guess as a belt and suspenders kind of guy with Uh, with the compliance here, I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. It so happens that there is a provision in SEC registration for exactly what I'm doing. Hmm. So uh, one compliance attorney had said, Well, I guess we'll talk to the the state and figure out what your obligations are. And then the other said, No, the rules and regs are written in at the SEC level. And so you'll simply re-register with them, and and you'll you'll be regulated at the at the SEC level. So it does surprise people when I say I'm at 60 million and SEC registered. They're like, hold on, that doesn't compute. And it turns out there's a specific exception uh, for my kind of situation.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, And that was kind of my first thought. So I'm imagining the same for other advisors hearing that like compliance is always a large challenge when we talk about overseas business or, you know, where you're at geographically. So good to know about that provision, right? And that you can do it. And clearly you're not the first person to have done it if there's a provision for it. So- That compliance piece is important. What about some of the operational stuff, Ashley? I mean, being up early in the morning to meet with clients, what are some of those challenges?
0: The biggest one has been shifting my calendar. I think a lot of us in in 2021 use Calendly or Schedule Once or one of those solutions. And so we've had to be really mindful about my availability. So I operate according to that surge model, you know, client on weeks and off weeks. And so during client on weeks, I'll take meetings from 5.30 a.m., 6.00 a.m. up to about 2.00 p.m. And the reason for 2.00 p.m. is by that point, even on the West Coast, it's getting to be 8 or 9.00 p.m. At that point, no one really wants to meet at that time. That actually works out really well. Like yesterday, I had four client meetings. Wrapped things up and went for a for a couple hour bike ride in the afternoon so that was nice other operational things to mention so i I still have my firm's principal registration back in minneapolis where i've been or was living for the last six years my power planner is also located there so we really do have a u.s presence and that's important as as we were saying before this call alana i'm pretty sure that there's there's an unwritten bias that, that that we all have, and that is people really wanna know where you are and that influences their decision as to whether they wanna engage with you. And it's funny since moving to Australia, despite having targeted Americans in Australia for years, it, it's been miraculous how they've just come out of the woodwork. And I think it has something to do with me being here that all of a sudden, even though the, my offerings haven't changed, really nothing's changed other than my physical location and suddenly people breathe a sigh of relief and say oh i'm so glad you're here i can now work with you. and it's <laughs> it's it's just funny that i in canada on both sides
1: That is sort of funny. I'm surprised to hear that, I guess, because I feel like we talk about all the time, especially after our pandemic world here, you don't need to be anywhere specific geographically, but it must do something psychologically for your clients, right, to know that you are local and probably that you get it, right? You understand where things are located and and what the climate is like and what the culture is like.
0: I think you're right. I think that at a deeper unconscious level, that's actually exactly what it is, you know, is the commonality. And, and understanding the cultural things. And it just it just says something profound, you know, that people would probably struggle to put into words, but but I think you, you hit the nail on the head.
1: All right, we'll be back right after this break. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more.
0: Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP.
1: All right, let's pick up where we left off, Ashley. So you mentioned, Ashley, this surge model. I want to go back to that really briefly for those that maybe aren't familiar with that structure, right? I guess, first off, do you think that you could run your business any other way? Because I'm sitting here going, gosh, if you had to have on weeks or client weeks every week, right, you'd probably be going crazy. So talk a little bit about that structure and and could you do it any other way?
0: Yeah, so I, I owe a debt of gratitude to Matthew Jarvis and the Limitless Advisor program for, for this approach. And, and when I got started, I, I really had what Stephanie Bogan described as a force of will kind of approach where it didn't matter how hard, how tough it was going to be, I was going to make it work. And I ran myself ragged. You know, it was really hard and I made myself available nights and weekends and it just didn't get me anywhere. And so in 2018, I enrolled in Limitless Advisor. I think it took about six months before we were able to transition to this surge model. And since then, there's been no going back. It's been fantastic. In a year in total, I think we have 13 client on weeks, which, which obviously leaves a lot of time for back office work. And it's meant that we've become extremely systematic about client meeting preparation and also client follow-up. It's, it's If there's a three week gap between when you're next seeing a client or i should say three month gap between seeing that particular client again how do you stay on top of all your to-dos and so kellen and i have developed kellen my power planner and i have developed a project management approach where you know we're reviewing all of the things that we we need to stay on top of for for those clients and so it's funny since moving here i've now been in australia for going on almost three months now, and I haven't lost any clients and no one's no one's complained, no one's said anything. And there's been a remarkable, I mean, truly remarkable degree of acceptance. And I suspect COVID actually probably has played to my advantage in this context, because we already had a year of being trained to meet by Zoom. So people, I think, had to accept, hey, this isn't so bad, and it can work. And why was I always so fixated on getting together in person? And now with that in mind, people, I think have said, Oh, well, if it doesn't matter if I don't meet him in person, when he's in the US, then what difference does it make if he's not even in the US, I will say it has been important that I have a return date. Because I think that's another fear I suspect people have is that it takes a tremendous amount of commitment for people to essentially give you that not that it's your money, but to quote, give you their life savings to manage. And if you appear to be doing a runner and, and heading off overseas, and you know, so long, that's not going to work. And so I've been very clear to say, this is a trip with a defined end date, you know, I still have my home, back in Minnesota and, and I'll be returning. So that's, that's probably helped as well.
1: Definitely. I would imagine again, sort of that the psychology behind that is interesting for sure too. So you do know when you're going to come back and that's communicated to clients. So 13 client on weeks, the rest of that time, what is, you know, how do you define what is happening in those weeks?
0: Yeah. So I, I still take remarkably few weeks totally off. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fewer than what I'd want, but that probably speaks to my anxiety as being a business owner. So I would say of the weeks off, none of them are totally free of Arate work. There's always work going, there's always a client asking about this or that. So what we've done is really interspersed the week. So we'll have planned meetings where we touch base on Arate related topics and condense email reply times, you know, to certain hours of the day and even days of the week. And then the rest of that time would be spent working on the the Global Financial Planning Institute and getting that off the ground. And so that's been a labor of love. And that's that's really taking a lot of my time outside of search weeks.
1: Yeah. To wrap up our first part of our discussion here, because I know we're going to get into your niche market. Can you give us what is the Global Financial Planning Institute?
0: I noticed over the decade that I was a financial advisor, or the first decade, I'm now 11 years in, so (laughs) maybe I could say last year (laughs) when it was my first decade. But I looked under every rock, I went to every meeting to find where were these advisors talking about the issues affecting international and cross-border clients. Bottom line is I couldn't find it anywhere. Occasionally, there were meetings happening at the AICPA or the CFA Institute or the fpa on on occasion but really there was nothing dedicated to to the issues affecting those clients and so after years and years of seeing this happen and and finally beginning to understand the dynamic of what was going on and why nothing was getting started i ventured out with my co-founder matt Gorin, who happens to be a professor at the american college and we uh, we got it started mid last year and and now we run we run a masterclass and designation so bringing together those advisors interested in working with international cross-border clients, educating them in in what the issues actually are, providing a community tools, resources, and, and ongoing support.
1: I love it. So, whoever that person is that got the original SEC provision in place clearly did not create something to help other people do it the way (laughs) you and and Matt are. So, thanks for doing that. So, other folks will be able to deal with those complexities as an advisor with their clients as well.
0: (laughs) Yep, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I I think they got going more for big international firms, you know, who are headquartered. That's probably it. It's been a convenient way to, to do what I'm doing, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and a very, I think, cool niche, which I know we're going to get into in our, our future episodes and conversation, Ashley. So thanks for giving us that picture and for being with us today.
0: Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks, Alana. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.